Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host on this, the CPI day for July 2023. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the monthly CPI report and my perceptions of it. <clears throat> it was a positive surprise, and it's positive even without the surprise parts, but it's just a first step and uh, a long journey to price stability still lies ahead. But before we get into that, a word from our sponsor and the trivia question. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a new ETF provider offering alternative investment strategies with full transparency, daily liquidity, and low costs. Some of their hedge fund style strategies include managed futures, Commodity trend following steep inner trades and more. If you are an individual investor or an RIA, you will likely find a compelling alternative investment from Simplify that can help improve your portfolio. Check out their website, simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. And I'll note that Simplify also just went over $2 billion in assets uh, for their complex of ETFs. So um, they are a new ETF provider, but, you know, no longer a very small one. Uh, worth checking out. <clears throat> One more preliminary, and that's the trivia question. Uh, this for the uh, for the older folks in the audience, uh, some of whom might remember this. Um, back uh, in 1970, a program uh, appeared for the first time on television, uh, television, and it was called Monday Night Football. And the question for the trivia question is: Who were the first three announcers? of Monday Night Football back in 1970. Okay. Now the, to the report. You know, I've actually started to dislike CPI Day. You would think that an inflation guy, even more, the inflation guy, would love CPI Day. And in fact, I do like sifting through the numbers and, and doing the tweets, um, which I do live. You can get them live if you subscribe to at INFL Guy Plus. If you go to the inflationguy.blog store, you can you can subscribe there if you're interested. And I like the repartee of the conference call that follows that and and uh, obviously this podcast and, and so on. But I don't look forward to the market volatility, especially in the stuff that, you know, I trade and I care about. Uh, and I know that sounds odd because I'm a trader and, you know, traders should like volatility. But when the overall trading environment is pleasant as it has been for inflation folks, you don't welcome the volatility. You want to just crank out your couple of basis points every day and, and you know, call it a day and not have the big wild swings. You know, one of the strategies that that we deploy uh, has an overall vol for the volatility for the year of, of something between 2 and 3% annualized volatility. And that's really low. So in a day like today, really kind of seems like it's incredibly volatile. So I, I don't, I, I always get a funny feeling in my, in my tummy when I wake up in the morning. <clears throat> and as a longtime trader, that's unusual. But I don't really mind, though, that the that the number itself was soft. I mean, as, as inflation guy, some people think I must really only like big numbers. I want to see inflation all the time. Um, but I'm not crypto guy. I'm not, you know, gold bug guy. I'm inflation guy. And I'm not, I'm not high inflation guy. I'm just the inflation guy. 
hedging inflation isn't something you do tactically just half the time. And by the way, it would be really rotten business if, if you only cared about this half the time. It's something you're always exposed to. Uh, inflation at a high level requires different investing approaches from inflation at a lower level. But, but you know, the important point, the point I make all the time, is that you should never ignore inflation just because it's it's low right now or you think it's going to be low. It's a risk, and you hedge risks when they're not too expensive to go hedge, um, even if you think that they're you know fairly unlikely to to uh, obtain. But inflation going from high to low. Uh, also requires a change in investment uh, strategy, just like low to high did. And and I don't necessarily know we're going back to a low inflation regime, but the point is that a low inflation number itself doesn't bother me. Low inflation doesn't necessarily bother me. Uh, to be sure, more people tune in when it's higher inflation, but, um, uh, but inflation is an all-the-time thing, not just a some-of-the-time thing. Um, I don't think we're about to move back into a regime of low and stable inflation, so that's a little bit moot. But coming into today, let's get on to the report, shall we? Enough enough preliminaries. Coming into today, most of the forecasts were in the high, for, for core, were in the high 0.2s, like you know, 0.29% was the average core CPI estimate from economists on Bloomberg. The Cleveland Fed's now cast was 0.43%. That tends to overweight recent figures a little bit. Um, and I was at 0.32%, which is the lowest I've forecast in a while, and actually the lowest would, would have been the lowest in a while anyway. Um, it is worth pointing out that Kalshi, K-A-L-S-H-I, you can go look it up, Kalshi.com, um, is a, it, it's a place where small but real money trading takes place on the actual figures and, and on core CPI. It's really the only place you can trade core CPI. And, and I'm affiliated with them. Um, I've, I've talked before about about how what we want to move to having a real inflation futures market, and Kalshi is sort of the place where that's probably going to end up happening. But anyway, the market was stable there at around 0.2% flat. Um, and so, you know, Kalshi was sort of the most bearish, the Kalshi traders, the individual traders, um, were the most bearish of, the, of sort of all of the folks that I follow. Goldman was fairly low, but not that low. It was generally expected that used cars was going to be a drag. Uh, private surveys have been really weak, uh, but there were a couple of banks actually who they were inexplicably calling for used car prices in the CPI to be to be an increase, which didn't make a lot of sense. But in fact, they did fall, and and they took about two basis points off of the CPI, off the core CPI. And everyone kind of knew that health insurance was going to be, you know, its usual four basis points a month drag. Um, it's rote, but it won't be a drag anymore starting in October. So you should probably make a little note of that. You know, starting in October, you're going to have this four basis point drag go away. So if you thought that overall core was around 4%, say, then you would have forecast for this number um, knowing something about used cars and that health insurance, you would have you know, the kind of the, the simple approach, you would have said 4% divided by 12, subtract six basis points, and you would have got come up with 0.27% on core. And so that was pretty close to where where uh, where people were. Uh, well, economists, not people, but, you know, plus or minus. And the actual print came in, it was 0.16% on core and 018 on headline. So quite a bit lower 
on core. And so immediately what we do is we look at rents because that's the the, the big thing that everyone is waiting to kind of have it mean revert and, or whatever. And, uh, and, and, you know, we saw a sequential deceleration and we've all kind of expected that. The only question, the place where there's a difference of opinion is, is how far is that going to fall? I don't think rents are going to fall as far as some people think they're going to fall. Um, in fact, I don't think they're going to fall terribly. I mean, they're not going to be down to 2% or anything like that. And some people are calling for deflation in rents. Used cars was a drag, as I said. Um, oh, and airfares. Yeah, airfares dropped 8% on the month. Um, and that is worth five basis points on the number all by itself, airfares. So what that means is that the BLS airfare CPI measure is back to pre-COVID, not the rate of change of airfare inflation. The actual level of airfares, according to the CPI, is the same as it was prior to COVID. Um, and that seems sort of odd to me. Um, airfares have come down some from, from the highs, and I've seen that. And part of that's because of jet fuel prices. Um, so that part you can kind of forecast. You watch jet fuel go down. You say, okay, airfares should go down a little bit. Um, but at least on the routes that I watch, airfares are still far above where they were prior to COVID. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy theory. I have a, I have a, I have a guess and and about what's really going on, um, and I think it's something real that's going on. I just um, um, and not not a conspiracy, but I don't know exactly what's going on. Here's my guess. First of all, I find it plausible that some of the decline in airfares is due to lower fuel intensity, uh, meaning that you get more passenger miles. Uh, with j less jet fuel. And in fact, we've, we've sort of seen that in the weekly uh, energy reports that come out um, from the Department of Energy, like uh, as came out today. Uh, we've, we've been seeing that jet fuel consumption has been going up, but not nearly as much as passenger miles. And the supposition is that, you know, over the last couple of years, more, uh, more efficient aircraft have gone into service. And so, you know, there's more uh, intensity or less fuel intensity um, in in uh, in airfares, and so that would say that you know for a given amount of demand or whatever, you'd expect you know slightly uh, lower prices, you know, for a given level of jet fuel prices. Um, but you know, honestly, I haven't really seen the 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 airfare prices, the airfares themselves, drop very much on the routes that I that I track. So the, the, the explanation, the one possible explanation they've kind of come up with um, is a potentially a good reminder that you shouldn't rely too much on anecdotal evidence without remembering that it's anecdotal and less evidence. Um, I don't fly business class. I don't buy business class tickets or business fares. Um, you know, business fares tend to be shorter lead times, um, they tend to be during the week. They tend to, you know, not staying over Saturday. Um, and, uh, and, and because historically they've tended to be less elastic, they also tend to be priced higher. Well, if I were an airline, that's where I would be cutting prices right now because since COVID introduced us all to Zoom and to Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings don't substitute for everything face-to-face. Uh, -face. I mean, face-to-face is still extremely valuable 
but it substitutes for some of it. And I think, I, I suspect that business travel is has recovered less than leisure travel has. And so if you cut the price, as an airline, if you cut the price to a business traveler, you know, relative to the leisure traveler, I'm not going to see it as the leisure traveler. So I'm going to say, oh, gosh, airfares aren't really going down. But in aggregate, perhaps they are. And there's not a it's not the Bureau of Labor Statistics explanation. It's not the, you know, airline industries explanation or anything like that. It's it, it, it's just a guess. Um, but that's what I would, would pin it on. You know, an 8% fall in fares is sort of hard to kind of get your arms around. Um, now, I'm not saying that we should discard that airfares drop, but it's it's unlikely to be repeated. It's a, it is a big deal. Um, and it's... And it, ends up being worth a nickel in the overall uh, CPI, or in the core CPI. Similarly, wireless services fell 1.5% month on month. And that takes three basis points off the core. Now, it used to be, so that's you know, cell phone services. It used to be that that category dropped every month because every month uh, more carriers would give you one megabyte of free data. No, 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 now it's two megabytes of free data. Now it's four megabytes of free data. And that was a quality adjustment, which meant that prices, quality adjusted prices, you know, were generally falling, which, of course, gets into the whole conspiracy theory thing, whatever. It's a quality adjustment. It makes perfect sense. Where it kind of stopped making sense is when they went to kind of infinity data that, that you don't charge, you don't pay extra for data. Um, the quality adjustment kind of broke. And so there was one month years ago where we had this really one large negative change in, in cell phone prices. Um, and it kind of messed everything up for a while. But but it hasn't been a problem since then because now the data is infinite and there aren't many, very many quality adjustments anymore. So now basic, since that point, it's been basically flat every month, you know, plus or minus, you know, half a percent, quarter of a percent, whatever. And then every once in a while, every 12 or 18 months, um, it jumps a couple of percent or it drops a couple of percent just in one month. And usually the next month it goes back to zero. So, so I think it's associated with promotions or the end of promotions or things like that. So, for example, in November 2018, it, self, wireless services fell 2.2%. And then it was a bunch of zeros after that. And then in July of 2020, it rose 3.6%. And then there were a bunch of zeros. And then last November, it rose 2.4%. been a bunch of zeros. And then today, it's down 1.5%. So again, it's not a fake number, but it's, it's, it's unlikely to be a number that's repeated next month. Now, so I said that for both the wireless services and the airfares thing. Um, when you look at inflation or any kind of economic data, and you look at it X something, um, you need to explain why you're Xing it. Um, you know, a lot of times people will X things because they're inconvenient. For example, you, you can on Bloomberg, if you want, uh, get the PE, the price uh, equity ratio for an index, uh, where they only look at companies with positive earnings that's ridiculous because if you if you own the index, you own the negative earnings too. So only looking at the PE on the basis of positive earnings is just dumb. It doesn't make any sense to do that. And by the way, they started doing that in the uh, internet bubble in uh, 
in 2000, um, in 1989. And um, because a lot of the indices had negative earnings as a whole, and so it didn't didn't make sense. You know, PEs were were not you just didn't, they they were not calculable. And then um, uh, and so Bloomberg said, well, what if we just looked at the companies in the Nasdaq that had positive earnings, both of them, <laughs> whatever it was, and then they could calculate a PE. But it, obviously, it's nonsense. So if you're gonna if you're gonna re- report something as X, whatever, X items. You need to explain why it is that the items should be excluded or for what purpose they should be excluded because you can exclude it for some purposes and not others. Um, so, for example, we do X food and energy, core inflation, we, and, and we focus on it. We, we still calculate regular inflation, but we calculate it also X food and energy. Why? Because we like a lower number? No, it's not necessarily lower. Sometimes it's higher. But we do that because food and energy – the, those categories are way more noise than signal. And so if you wanted to forecast next month's number and you had to pick this month's headline or this month's core to be your guess, you'd always choose core because it's got, it, there, there's no, it doesn't have this natural massive mean reversion noise engine in it of food and energy. That's why we take out food and energy. So forecasting next month's number and near-term numbers, you'd much rather take out food and energy. Um, similarly, but for the opposite reason, we might do X housing, um, X housing this month, core inflation, X housing was 2.8% year on year, which is the lowest it's been in a while. We don't take out housing because housing doesn't matter. It's a huge part of the consumption basket, but we take it out because we think that maybe housing responds really slowly, you know, housing prices, shelter prices change really slowly. So that if we include it, then we might be slow to identify changes in trend. I don't necessarily feel as strongly about that as, as the X food and energy, but that's a reason that might make sense to X. So here we're looking at X. Uh, you know, if, if, we, if we want to take out airfares, if we want to take out cell phones, um, then what's the reason? Well, the, the reason is because these look like one-offs that are unlikely to be repeated. So... If you, if you want to guess next month, you don't start with this month's print of, of you know, 0.16 uh, on core um, because you you would be including some things that you're almost certain aren't going to be repeated. You'd probably start with that 0.16, add back those, those six basis points or so of, of non-repeatables, and you'd, your first guess would be, you know, 0.22 or something. Uh, my guess is actually higher than that, but, um, but just taking out those two, right? So... So that's the reason that I kind of highlight the reason that these are sort of one-off sorts of things. Um, it doesn't change the fact that this was a low inflation number overall. It was a good number from a, from a diffusion of breadth standpoint, which is something that I've said we should be looking at here as the number starts to go down. Is it, is it going down in a broad way? You know, are lots of things going down or is it just these little, these, these tail events? Um, and from that that breadth standpoint, breadth standpoint, it was a better inflation number than we have seen in a while. If you sort of look at the distribution, and we can't obviously do this on a podcast, um, there is a, sort of a lump of core goods that are inflating very slowly, two percent or less, um, on sort of one end of the number line, and then there's a big lump of shelter that's still inflating pretty rapidly, but coming down. 
And there's a cluster of other tail things on the positive side, um, way up on the upper end. Um, but then there's the then there's the cluster of all kind of the the junk in the middle. And the junk in the middle is actually what we want to focus on here. And that junk in the middle is still around four and a half or five and a half percent. It's slowly declining, but but sort of the the the, the noise the 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 uh, the riotous middle is still around four and a half or five and a half percent. And that's kind of where I think that that true middle is slowly moving lower. Not to 2%. Not yet. We have a long way to go. The longest journey starts with a single step, though. And today certainly seems like the right kind of step. Inflation does feel better than it has in a while. And I, I know this is, I'm going back on what I said about the anecdotal evidence here thing. This is an anecdote. It does feel to me better than it has in a while. And one of the ways, one of the things that I calculate is a diffusion index weighted in a slightly different way. So the, the idea of a diffusion index is that you sort of count everything going, like if, if you have a, a survey diffusion index, you count all the people who say yes, and you subtract all the people who say no, and so you get sort of some kind of net overall figure. Um, with inflation, sometimes people will, you know, if you, you know, sum up the positive categories or the accelerating categories and take away the decelerating categories, something like that. We calculate them, and during investments, we calculate it a little bit differently. We've sort of de de designed a diffusion index that sort of mimics the way people think about how they bucket their inflation experience cognitively. People tend to keep mental accounts for different things, and we, we, you know, we know this experimentally. Uh, and so people tend to have mental accounts for, say, groceries. And so people develop a sense of grocery inflation in their head. And, and you know, it's got eggs and meat and all the other things you buy at the grocery store. But within that bucket, they aren't necessarily sophisticatedly weighting it. Um, you know, they have uh, travel, you know, transit, and they might, you know, lump in airfares at being, you know, roughly the same weight as gasoline, even though gasoline is something that they, that the average person spends lots more money on in a year than they do on airfares. But in their head, it kind of gets lumped together as travel, for example. Anyway, this index of ours um, is sort of designed to mimic that, and it really tracked the, the spike in inflation very well because it, that spike was broad. Um, and now that the index... Now, that index that we calculate has dropped to 12 after being as high as 52. So they all, the, the, the historical range of this thing is from minus 35 to plus 52. And so now it's down to 12. It's kind of in the middle. And that's, you know, consistent with median inflation declining to four and a quarter or so from its current level in the mid-sixes. And so that, I kind of think that's where we're going. We're going to go to the, the, you know, the, the low fours for median for a while. Um, in the medium term. And we'll see about the long term later, but that steady improvement from here, it's not necessarily as much as some people expect. Now, what does this all do for the Fed? I mean, it's kind of awkward, right? So the Fed's been talking all this hawk talk, uh, all this chest beating that, you know, they're going to keep on hiking rates until, you know, they're you know, jumping up and down on the cold, dead body of inflation. Um but you get a number like this and, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're 
beating up on someone who's not fighting back anymore is what it looks like. So it's going to change the tenor of the conversation, I think, when the Fed meets later this month. So the market had sort of started to price in that the Fed is definitely going to tighten another 25 basis points in late July um, because that's kind of what all the, you know, hawk talkers um, were sounding like, that, oh, you know, we definitely need to tighten more. And so this has all been priced in. After this today's number, it's a lot harder to see that happening. I mean, you know, so I'm 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 not so sure we necessarily get a, a hike later this this month, um, unless the stock market starts to run away to the upside and get so sort of excited. I still think the argument, by the way, for a tightening for the other for another twenty five or fifty basis points is really weak, not just because interest rates don't do a whole hell of a lot to inflation, but but just because it's not enough to matter after you've tightened 500 basis points. Another 25 just is just noise. It does, doesn't really do anything, you know, except make you look tough, I guess. Um, and, and when you get numbers like this, now you're looking tough, but again, you're hitting something which isn't hitting back. And so now you just look like a bully. And and so I don't know that necessarily everybody at the, I think everybody, I think they all want to talk tough. Not sure they all want to act tough. And so I think they may continue to talk hawkishly and then we'll see at the end of the month that maybe they say, well, let's 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 wait a little further. Things, you know, recent trends have been positive in inflation. Uh, although this may not continue, the the committee has decided determined that they should uh, wait a little bit longer, uh, watchfully. I don't know, making it up. Something like that. Um, so you know, it's not like the 25 basis points would be a down payment on 100 bips. You know, we're not expecting lots more tightening unless inflation were to turn and shoot higher, which neither I nor anybody else really expects. But that's, you know, today's number does make that whole thing a lot more interesting. All right. That's all for today. Um, let's go back to the top and answer the trivia question. The question was, who are were the first three announcers? of Monday Night Football in its inaugural 1970 season? The answer is Keith Jackson, Dandy Don Meredith, and Howard Cosell. And I would have gotten Meredith and Cosell, but I don't remember Keith Jackson. Uh, But uh, some of you may still remember that. I was two, so I don't really remember that. I probably was watching it, but um, I don't remember it. Anyway... That's all for today's podcast. Please like, subscribe, refer others, contact me if you have any questions or suggestions. Inflation Guy at EnduringInvestments.com. You can subscribe to the blog for free at InflationGuy.blog. Uh, and as I pointed out earlier, you can go to InflationGuy.blog slash shop and, uh, and subscribe to the, uh, the premium stuff. Uh, uh, the non-premium stuff on Twitter is at Inflation underscore Guy. Visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. And most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.